the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And what we try to do here every weekday on AM 630 The Word is to take your phone calls and answer questions about life, questions about the Bible, questions about our Christian faith, anything and everything that we can. No question is off limits. We'll do the best that we can to answer. You need only to call 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. They've made it really simple. One button, call now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. If my voice sounds a little bit different today, this mountain cedar is giving me fits, and uh, if I talk any louder, I cough, so I'm going to keep my voice down here if I can. We'd love your live calls and questions tonight because finally all the holidays are over. We're back on schedule. We'll have our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies. Tonight our ladies' Bible study is going to be a retreat planning meeting instead of a Bible study. Um, our retreat is coming up. Paul will talk to you about it on Thursday, uh, coming up in the beginning of March. Uh, And this is the night they plan it, but all of the other Bible studies are going on as usual. Pastor Ken will be teaching the men, Chris Sanchez, the junior high school age youth, and Pastor Nelly, the high school age youth. So join us, 7 o'clock, here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Had a great weekend. I hope and trust that you did too. It was Communion Sunday for us yesterday, and we always loved that. Some people got saved. It was um, just good to sort of be back to normal. We said goodbye to a young man who um, right now is on his way to Georgia for basic training in the Army, Uh, prayed for him, and watched this um, young man now grow up from the time he was a very, very little boy. And uh, it's been great to watch, and he wants to serve our country. His name is Austin. If you ever pray for our men and women who are in service, um, put his name on your list. Let me get to some questions. I have a question that I don't know what to do with. I don't. I don't want to read it and deal with the personal uh, um, nature of the of the question. But uh, a question came in, and I'll just get to the to the main point. Um, this person was talking to someone um, <clears throat> who listened to the message that I did um, the Friday night before the new year, talking about to make 2019 a better year, a more Jesus year. And this person was saying, well, they just want people to serve in their church kind of thing. And I don't want to go into all the details. You know, there's always going to be people who misunderstand and we want to pray for them and give them the benefit of the doubt. But but I do want to make it clear to you who sent the question in. The reason that we who are pastors encourage people to serve in the church 
is because Jesus did, because Paul did, because James did, because Peter did. Serving is when God is able to really do stuff in us. You see, the point of serving isn't isn't that the church needs people to do things. It's always great when people are serving with the right heart. But when we're giving people opportunities to serve, it really doesn't have anything to do with our need. God is always going to fill the need. I had somebody once say, well, you know, if I stop giving, you're going to be in... No, we're not going to be in trouble. God is the one who provides the resources. If he wants to use you and you can do that with a good heart, great. But see, God is always working on you. And there's nothing quite like serving. When Jesus washed his disciples' feet in John chapter 13, he said, do this. I'm doing this as an example for you to follow. Why do we need to serve? Because we need to humble ourselves. We need to let God rough off sort of the, the, or or sand off sort of the rough edges of our hearts, and in some cases our minds. The man or the woman that just goes to church doesn't do anything for the church, isn't really a part of that body. You become a consumer rather than a servant. And there's no possible place where Jesus indicated that we're to go to church for us. We're to go and benefit others. And we we do that as serving. As you serve, as you humble yourselves, as God humbles you, then the Spirit of God is poured out upon you. And then God can do marvelous things through you. I think a response... And this was an anonymous letter. I think the response that this other person was giving you was somebody's only concerned about themselves. And the comment about, well, it's only serving that church, not doing any good for the other people. You see, that misses the point altogether. When you come to church, when you're taught the word, when you're equipped to serve, and you do it with the right heart, then God is free to pour his spirit out upon you, and as I said earlier, through you, and then you can answer the call of God in your life. And when you answer the call of God in your life, there's no telling what he's going to do. Just in our church alone, and we're not a huge church, but just in our church alone, we've planted 29 churches. Because people served God was able to deal with them and then speak to them and then send them after equipping them. Almost 24 years, 23 and a half years here, 29 churches have been planted. Because people served, because they were able to hear from the Lord. We have a lot of ministry here at Calvary Chapel that is outward. You know, the ministry here at the church is just stuff like cleaning and child care and audiovisual stuff, computer stuff. I mean, we got all kinds of opportunities to serve. And yet it facilitates what we do. And this is true in every church. But the people who are really missing out are the ones who just come to church and sit. And that's why one of those lists of, of 10 things that I talked about in our program last week was uh, to, to serve and to give. Support your local body with your time, with your talent, and with your treasure. And when you do that, God's free to turn you loose. And whatever the calling that he has in your life is for the greater good. We have a lot of things. Malta Medical. 80% of the people that come to Malta Medical are not from our church. That's a wonderful, valuable service that's provided this community. We have served now in excess of 20,000, well in excess now, 20,000 patients in our almost six years. That's significant ministry, our Joy of Jesus ministries. We have a house for women, Mana House we call it, women who are in trouble. There's a lot of counseling that goes on in every church. But in order for you to be available to God, to be used by Him, 
you've got to be an active part of the body. So once again, we don't encourage people to serve because we need stuff. Jesus provides everything that we have, everything that we need. And when we understand that, then what we're doing is letting Jesus work on our hearts. So that's what service is. Jesus certainly didn't serve to get the others to go wash people's feet. He was giving them an example that our ministries, all of it has to be others-oriented rather than self. So Anonymous, I hope that answers your question. I didn't want to get into the the uh, less attractive parts of of what this person apparently said to you. 340-9585, here's a question from our email inbox from Richard. He says, should we as Christians in our walk with Jesus take the time and or the opportunity to listen or watch any of the preachers on televised medium? In your program, you speak in defense of some and against others who teach falsehoods, some such as myself who seek answers, which we do not comprehend, although we search the scripture and listen to programs on radio such as yours. And then it says, on a side note, thank you for your program and the blessings that it gives to those who inquire of your experience. He says, I recently saw a debate between Frank Turek and Michael Shermer on the subject of theism and atheism. Should we as seekers even consider watching debates with those learned ones uh, such as these or just dismiss them? Uh, Richard, here is uh, my difficulty. Um, I think we need to be consumers, and I don't mean that in the negative sense, but, but we need to ingest information. Um, the Holy Spirit will give you discernment, what's good, what's not good. And in many cases, he uses programs, uh, other people, to, to, to sort of fine-tune that sense of discernment. Um, who you should listen to and how much is the problem. I think, Richard, if... And I'm going to guess that, and I'm familiar with Frank Turek, I am. So um, if, if, if you spend an hour on YouTube watching Frank Turek, I don't know the other guy, Michael Shermer, um, you would have been infinitely ahead had you spent that hour in your Bible. I also think that when we are studying, um, I don't know how old you are, Richard, uh, but but, you know, the, 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 I'm trying to phrase this correctly. The, the, the younger generation, uh, they learn by watching and listening. And I think as Bible students, we learn more by reading. There's something about reading, reading the Word, reading commentaries, finding dependable commentators. Uh, I just think it gets deeper in our hearts and deeper into our brains. There's just, um, YouTube is okay. I, I, I watch things on YouTube now uh, because with my vision failing so badly, I, I, uh, I can't read like I want to be able to read. And uh, I can't tell you, Richard, I miss reading more than any other thing in my life. I'm so envious of those who have good eyes and can read. And I find personally listening to other people. I've got a great memory, so God has blessed me with that. But, but even still, I find that the Holy Spirit speaks to me quantitatively more when I am reading and searching for the heart of God on these things. Um, further, I'm not a, a debate fan. I, I just don't think there are many good reasons why we should ever debate with people. The Apostle Paul says, um, if I know everything but have not love, I'm just a clanging symbol, just a big noisemaker. And I'm just not sure. I, I know we like it, but but again, the use of your time in this busy world, the use of your time is the single most important thing and the way you're going to really get the discernment you need to grow in your faith 
is to let the Holy Spirit instruct you instead of looking always for answers from other people. There's some great people you can listen to. Uh, false teachers are out there. You have to be careful. Without discernment, you can get tricked. But I believe with all of my heart that our greatest growth, Richard, comes from those times when we're just with Jesus, with our Bibles open, reading in context, reading systematically, not just shotgunning, I'm going to be here one day and here the next day, but reading, looking for answers. And I think if we're going to have discernment, we've got to get to that place where we can hear the voice of the Lord and the person of the Holy Spirit instructing us. He's the primary instructor. Now, he gives teachers to the body. That's what I do. I'd like to think that my gifts are important. But believe me, the richest times in my life in these last almost 28 years have been with just me and the Bible open. Remembering that Jesus is sitting right next to me and letting him instruct me. And there's great commentaries, and I said earlier, great commentators, if you're confused about something, you can get the answers. But I think our younger generation is poorer for not reading as much as they're watching. So I hope that makes sense to you, Richard. I I just don't value arguing with people, unbelievers aren't going to be won by your presentation of the gospel. Unbelievers are going to be won by the moving of the Holy Spirit. And I just don't ever see the Holy Spirit moving in debates. I see people with canned presentations. Frank Turek is a smart guy. Um, He's certainly orthodox. There's nothing wrong with his ministry. Um, but boy, I'd sure rather have the Holy Spirit give me the answers than Frank Turek. And by the way, for everybody in the audience, that same principle applies to this program. I hope I am, I'm helping. I, I hope that this program is a blessing to many. But I'm a poor substitute for the Holy Spirit of God. So, Richard, I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you for Asking the question, 340-9585, here's an anonymous question. Pastor Ron, do you ever feel like things are so hard that you want to give up? Anonymous, I know exactly the sentiment you're trying to communicate, but let me explain. Um, My answer is no. Um, I never want to give up. I never feel like I'm going to give up or even want to give up. Uh, But things are really hard sometimes. Um, As a pastor, you deal with a broken heart literally every day. And you're surrounded with great success stories, great joy, um, a, a rich and full life. But heartbreak never goes away. But here's the thing, and I hope I can communicate this adequately. One of the things that God made clear to me at the very beginning of my walk, almost 28 years ago, it'll be 28 years next month, is I don't have the option of giving up. So I threw that out of my thought process a long time ago. Again, we've gone through some really hard things. That's just the world that we live in. And there's going to continue to be hard things. But if I'm really a servant of God, and Anonymous, this goes for you too, if you're a servant of God, you don't get to give up. You just don't get to give up. God called you. God equipped you. God rescued you. God owns you. So what makes you think you have a chance to, uh, the opportunity to give up? So again, I don't want to sound super spiritual here. There's hard things that go on and you wonder, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with this? And your heart breaks all the time. But if I gave up, Anonymous, then I would prove 
that I've only been serving me for all these years instead of serving Jesus. My job is to please the Lord. Paul writes, find out what pleases the Lord. And then Pastor Ron adds, do it. And it doesn't please God when we quit because we're t- things are hard or because we're hurting or because we're discouraged or disappointed or depressed. So yeah, things are hard, but that's the time we who are Christians need to fight all the harder. When I say fight all the harder, I mean we fight to run to our Bibles. We fight to run to Jesus. We fight to walk in the Spirit instead of the flesh. And when you do that, the power of God comes upon you. It's amazing, Anonymous, how much better things get. And often, how quickly? I think when things get so hard that you feel like you're you're ready to give up, I think most of the time it's because you're focused on the things that are hard instead of focusing on Jesus. So, Anonymous, I hope that helps. Here's a question from Adam. I love this question, Adam. He says, I've been listening to a pastor in California named John Miller. Do you know if he's trustworthy? Should I be listening to him? Adam, John Miller is not only a really, really, really good friend. I've had John here at the church. Uh, We've had him out to to speak to our men's groups. Um, uh, John is one of the really great Bible teachers uh, in the country, in my opinion. Um, uh, So, yeah, he's trustworthy. Yeah, I recommend him. Uh, He is... Uh, probably of of um, our affiliates at Calvary Chapel. He is probably the one that most of the rest of us would say is the most well-read. Um, he's a hard worker, a workman, studying to show himself approved, rightly dividing the Word of God. That's what I always think of when I think of John. So yes, I know him. I love the guy, his wife, Christy, and uh, we see them whenever we go to California. And, and uh, as I said, they have been here as well. So uh, listen to John. Uh, he's uh, at a place called Revival Church. It is a Calvary Chapel, although Calvary Chapel is not in the name. Uh, what's really interesting about John, Adam, is that he, at 19 years of age, was one of those hippies that got saved in the Jesus days, Jesus movement, um, uh, that was in Orange County, um, an hour and a half away from Orange County is a place called San Bernardino, California, which is, uh, I mean, there's nothing really attractive about San Bernardino, California. And he went out and at 19 started a church and was there for more than 40 years. John had a stroke recovered nicely, but it went through a tough time. And it was during that time down um, when somebody else was sort of watching his church for him, um, that the Lord began speaking to his heart and uh, sent him out to a church that was really a messed up church, bad doctrine and all kinds of sin problems and things. And the Lord said, I'm moving you. And John took a church that was really hurting and now it's a really healthy church again. And I I just admire anybody. I mean, 40 years, the church you founded as a teenager. And to answer the call of God, he was willing to go. And he did, and the Lord has really blessed. So John is a keeper. Thank you very, very much. We're inside three minutes, so we get another question then. Uh, Donna wants to know, if a believer dies... Without being baptized, are they really saved? Uh, Donna, your timing is interesting. I got this question today. Yesterday at church, I had somebody uh, come to me between services uh, and the church tradition that she grew up in. Uh, baptism was a requirement for being saved. And, and the way she asked it was, well, Pastor Ron, I don't see a baptismal. What do you do with the people that come forward to be saved? And I say, well, we have baptism events and we'll baptize people if they want to be baptized, but we don't do it right then. She goes, what if they go out and die? They're not saved. Donna, baptism doesn't save. We don't get baptized to get saved. We're baptized because we are saved. 
Now, that doesn't diminish the importance of baptism. It's just not essential to salvation. We're saved by believing. We're saved when that change comes into our heart. We, we, we are introduced to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. We confess Jesus as Lord and give our lives to him. That's when we're saved. So somebody who believes that you have to be baptized, that's a work salvation. That's adding to the message of grace. And what we want to do is get baptized because Jesus said to do it, because the epistles said to do it, because they practice it in the book of Acts. But the people, even from the very first day of the church, day of Pentecost, when they spoke in other tongues, they were saved when they believed. The baptism happened a bit later. So very, very important. Thief on the cross was certainly not baptized. The people who were saved in the World Trade Towers, right at the end, lots of people were giving their life to Jesus then. So baptism isn't what saves. So Donna, yes, they were really saved if they really believed. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Monday edition of the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program we have 30 minutes left in the monday program 340-9585 during the break i i I caught one of the commercials and it was from uh, calvary chapel solid rock uh, Pastor Troy Neely, he's another good Bible teacher. Uh, that was the church that we planted. Uh, Pastor Troy was uh, my worship leader uh, and then became worship pastor for 10 years here uh, when God called him. And uh, there's another uh, faithful one that you can listen to, Richard, if you're if you're looking for for other people. So uh, thanks for the question. Here is a here is a question from our mobile app. I'm laughing. Uh, because it's from Thomas, but this is from questioning Thomas, not doubting Thomas, the the, the disciple. This is questioning Thomas. Uh, good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Is there any information on Moses' Hebrew name that his parents would have given him because Moses is his adoptive Egyptian name? Also, did the older generation of Israelites who died during their 40 years of wandering go to Abraham's bosom or to Sheol? My guess would be the latter because of their unbelief. Um, no, we have no other information at all on Moses' uh, Hebrew name. I, I think there was never a question. Remember, this is the sovereignty of God working behind the scenes. But 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 when his mother um, put him in that, that little ark and put him in the river, um, she knew that, that Moses would be dead if she kept him. So I, I don't think that was ever a consideration. Uh, love does what you need to do, and she did exactly that. So um, um, Moses is how they knew him. Um, you're also right about the, the Israelites who died during their 40 years of wandering in the Exodus wilderness. You know, the the, the, the thought process, Thomas, that, um, you know, because they're Jews, they're God's chosen people, um, they they made it into Abraham's bosom or, or to paradise. Uh, simply isn't the case. Uh, they died because of unbelief. The the miracles they saw had no value to them. They they were rescued through those miracles, but there was no value, lasting value, eternal value, uh, because they simply refused to believe. Paul writes, "These things are written for us. These Old Testament stories." so that we would learn from their failures. But salvation has always been the same way. You have to believe God, believe the word of God. And then it was credited to them as righteousness. These would be the people that Jesus would have gone down into the the, the pit, into the abyss. Uh, Luke chapter 16 talks about that place of torment. Uh, Peter talks about Jesus going down and preaching. It's a victory declaration, not a second chance. Um, but, but these are the people who died unnecessarily. 
Now, Thomas, the reason I use that phrase, died unnecessarily, is because God is still brokenhearted over people who die eternally unnecessarily. There's no one who has to perish. We perish not because um, God is unfair. We perish because we're being dishonest. All the information that anybody ever needs is out there. And um, those Israelites, they saw unbelievable things. I mean, the signature miracle of the Old Testament is the parting of the Red Sea. They saw it. They walked through those walls of water that were stacked up on either side of them and still didn't believe. They got water from a rock. Can you imagine how good that water tasted? Every morning they woke up and the day's supply of food was provided for them on the floor of the desert. Every day. Their shoes and their clothing didn't wear out. They didn't fall to the diseases of the pagan peoples around them. God preserved them so completely and yet they perished because they refused to believe the promises of God. It's an amazing thing to consider, Thomas, but they're dead eternally in torment. Here's a question that uh, I, I've been looking forward to answering. It is anonymous. Um, said, my father was a horrible man, and I have a really, and the really is all caps, I have a really hard time connecting with a loving father figure. Is it okay if I think of God as a woman like my grandmother, who is very kind? Uh, Anonymous, it's not okay to think of God that way because we don't want to think of God any way other than than who he is. But I understand exactly the question. Um, People fail. Uh, People betray us. Those who are supposed to protect us and love us um, they hurt us instead sometimes. That's the fallen world that we live in. But what we have to do, and I'm asking you to do, is make a disconnect between the, the abuse of your father and God the Father, because God the Father loved you so much that he sent his son, his only son, to take the punishment you deserve, to, take the, to, to die for the sins that you're guilty of. I mean, if we think rationally, there's no greater way that God could have showed his love for you, Anonymous, than to send his only son to die in your place. So I'm going to suggest two things. I'm going to get a lot of flack for the second one, so I'll leave that for last. The first thing is don't think of God the Father. Think of Jesus. Think of Jesus. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. You have a, an image in your mind of, of, of uh, a father figure, and it's not a good one. But, but Jesus says, focus on Jesus. He reveals the character, the nature of the father, the kindness, the love of the father. So connect with him. That's the way it was intended. I think too often as Christians, when we think of, of God, a big G God, it's, it's sort of a distant out there presence. Jesus lives in us. And Jesus is the only way we can know God, the only way we can see God. So if you have a bad father figure image, Jesus will change that. So I think that's the most important step you can take. But we've got to think of God rightly. And he's not a woman. Now, the second thing I said that that I'm going to get some flack for, I always do, is I'm going to ask you to go out and get the book, the original book, The Shack, by Paul Young. And I can hear people going, what, Pastor Ron recommended The Shack? The Shack is a piece of fiction. It's a novel. It's the writer's experiences told in story form. It's not the Bible. It's not heresy. Fiction can't be heresy. But it's about a a man who had the same problem that you had. 
Now, I know Paul Young a little bit. I, 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 don't, I don't like his doctrine. Uh, the things that he believes are, are, are not um, clear and they're not, not precise. But this is a man who was sexually abused by a trusted male figure in his life. And he, too, was unable to connect with the loving father figure of God. And God allowed him, in this process of being drawn to the Lord, to think of God any way he wanted to. Instead of thinking about the man who abused him, he remembered the kindness of people in his life. And there was a uh, literally a, 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 a large black woman in his life who loved Jesus with all of her heart. And that's the only kindness he experienced growing up. So Paul Young, that's how he related to God. Wasn't it God was a big black woman, but but that big black woman had God's heart. And so when in the book and in the movie, when God appeared to him, the image that he perceived was this big black woman. And yet she brought him to this place where she could reveal who he really was. And the shack I have recommended to lots and lots of people who have exactly this problem and anonymous, they've all come away with an understanding of how loving God the Father really is. So no ugly emails because I recommended the shack. Remember, those of you who say, well, that's heresy, and you can go online in the discernment ministries, and they say, if you're reading the shack, it's new age, and, and your pastor needs to be rebuked or corrected. Uh, those are people that have no understanding whatsoever about the difference between the Bible, which is God's Word, and the novel, fiction, somebody sharing their testimony in story form, which is in effect what Paul Young is doing. Again, I, I would not have Paul Young speak in my church, but the shack is wonderful for what it is. And for people that try to make it something it's not, I need to get a dictionary and look up the words. So Anonymous, I hope that helps. Please read The Shack if if you don't have it or can't afford it. Uh, connect here with us at the church, the same place you sent this question. Um, you can uh, send in, and, and I'll make sure you get a copy. We've got several here. Here's a question from Devin, who's 10 years old. Does God hate Satan? Um, Devin, the answer is yes. I know God is love. But God hates Satan, and here's why. God hates Satan because Satan's trying to destroy you. Satan rebelled against God. It wasn't that way at the beginning. Now, I don't know, Devin, how much you know about Satan's origins, but Satan, the devil, was made uh, the angel Lucifer, who, if you're in the majority, you understand that Lucifer was the brightest, the best, and among the most powerful of God's angels ever. Beautiful to look at. Ezekiel 28 describes him as music, seemingly, coming from him. Some will say that that passage indicates he was the worship leader in heaven. Now, God would love to love the devil, but he can't, because the devil has committed his entire existence through all eternity to destroying God and destroying God's people. And Devin, if your father, who tells you God is love and we need to love people, if your father encounters somebody who's trying to hurt you, well, your father would deal with him because he hates what he does. Well, God loves you so much, he's not going to let Satan mess with you. So I hope that answers your question. Manuel has a problem with Christianity. Manuel says, uh, my biggest problem with Christianity is that we're expected to believe in God with blind faith. How can we ever know for sure if he's real? 
Manuel, nobody ever asks you to believe by blind faith. Our faith, and, and, and it takes faith to believe, to be sure. But our faith isn't blind in faith. Our, in fact, our faith is informed. Our faith is based on overwhelming evidence. Now, let me tell you something. You talk, talk about blind faith? Find an atheist and ask what they believe and how they know. Well, there's no God. How do you know? And, and, and you talk about the biggest leap of blind faith ever. Ask somebody who believes in reincarnation. Or ask somebody who believes in life on other planets. And there's no evidence. And yet, Manuel, as a Christian, my faith is grounded on fact. Let me give you some facts. It is undeniable, historically, secular writings that Jesus Christ of Nazareth lived, did miraculous things, claimed to be God in human flesh. Now, when somebody comes now and says, I'm God, and we run into people all the time who claim to be God, we look at them like they're crazy. Well, people looked at Jesus like he was crazy. The problem is Jesus said that they were going to kill him and that he was going to be raised from the dead. And when that happened, they had to deal with the fact that he wasn't crazy after all. And not only was his life supported by overwhelming evidence, so too was his death and resurrection. Both biblical evidence and secular evidence. Let me give you something else that's fact. A man who served in a probably a 65-mile radius 2,000 years ago did such powerful miracles, undeniable miracles, eyewitness after eyewitness after eyewitness, didn't have the benefit of social media, didn't have the benefit of modern-day travel, and that one poor man who never got outside that 65-mile radius has changed the world more than anyone who's ever lived on this earth. Without money, without the throne of power, he changed the world. Consider this fact. There are billions of people, multiplied billions of people in 2,000 years, who believed in him and followed him. People whose lives were a mess and yet meeting Jesus transformed them. How much more evidence do you need? That's not blind faith. And if you want to know for sure if he's real, then all you have to do is give your heart to him. Too often we say, well, I want you to show me and then I'll believe. God says, how about this? How about you believe and then I'll show you? And then you, you won't have any problem knowing for sure if you take that step of faith, not blind faith, if you take that step of faith, ask him to forgive you of your sins and then let him be in control of your life instead of you being in control. I suspect, Manuel, the real problem, and I don't know you, but I suspect the real problem, and this isn't personal because this is the real problem with all of us. This was the real problem when I uh, rejected Jesus Christ for all those years when Paula was praying for me. The real problem is you don't want to stop sinning. You don't want somebody else, even God, telling you what to do and what not to do. And I've said this many times on this program, there's only one real honest reason that people reject Jesus Christ. It's not because they can't believe, it's because they won't believe. And they won't believe because they don't want to stop sinning. So, Manuel, I hope that helps. Here is an anonymous question. Um, 
he or she says, I've heard pastors say that where God guides, God provides. But there's a lot I need that I don't have. Well, Anonymous, you're in the same group that I belong to. Man, there's a lot I think we need here at Calvary Chapel. There's so much that we don't have. We need a, a, a bigger building. We, we, you know, we're in this place where we're literally pushing the walls out. Um, I've got 23 people that work here who depend on their livelihood coming from Calvary Chapel. And there's times when we don't have money. This radio program costs money. Our other radio programs and ministries cost money. Everything that we do in this world costs money. But you know what? We've been here for 24 almost years. And we're still here. And people are still being blessed every day. People are getting saved every day. So God has guided us. He's provided for us. The same thing will be true with you. He never promised to give you everything that you needed, that you thought you needed. He certainly never promised to give you everything you wanted. He alone knows exactly what you need. And a lot of times, and Anonymous, I'm speaking from personal experience here, a lot of times, the only way we'll really trust God, depend only on Him, is when we've exhausted all other avenues. And sometimes by withholding material things from us, that's how we find and depend on, learn to depend on Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says that he's learned the secret of being content in every circumstance, whether hungry or well-fed, whether clothed or naked, in good times and in bad times. What I would ask you to do is learn that secret. I can tell you what the secret is, but you're still going to learn it. The secret is being with Jesus. Stop looking at what you don't have and start giving thanks for what you do have. Then with a grateful heart, with thanksgiving, you can make your request known to God. When you ask a question like this, Anonymous, your prayers can't be answered because you're not praying with a grateful heart. You're treating God like a butler. Go do this, go do that, a valet. I need this, give me that. Instead of waking up in the morning and thinking, Jesus, I'm so grateful just for you. This is one of the most important lessons any of us will ever learn. Be content with what you have. Uh, Again, in, in in a moment of brutal honesty, it took me a long time to learn this lesson. It took me a long time. I was so convinced, so brainwashed by this world that I couldn't be happy without stuff. I'll go one step farther. The way I live now, I had a successful business life before I gave my heart to Jesus. If somebody would have told me back then that I would be living materially the way I'm living now, I would have thought I was the worst failure in the world. And yet, Anonymous, I am honestly the richest man on planet Earth. After everything I've done, I have a wife who loves me And when she looks at me, really looks at me, she respects me. I have a family here that calls me pastor, pop, grandpa. In this office before the program started, there were probably 11 kids in here praying for this program. They all got to come in and give me a hug and a kiss. Every day I get to see the hand of God move. That's what he wants for you. It took me a long time to stop being jealous of pastors that had big buildings. Pastors that had big bank accounts. But I learned that secret, and I'm praying that you will as well. Here is the last question for the day. It comes from Jerry. He says, why doesn't God heal everyone? Um, I'll answer your question with the question first, Jerry. Why do you think he should? 
He never promised to. Um, God sometimes miraculously heals. But he never said it was his will that everybody would be healed. Think about this one, Jerry. He didn't even heal his own son. Why do we feel like it's his obligation to heal us? Or to keep us from going through bad or hard things? There's a lot of bad teaching out there, Jerry, and evidently you've been exposed to some. If you just have enough faith, God will heal you. He doesn't want anybody to suffer. That's not true. He himself suffered. Paul said that it's been granted to us as a gift, suffering. Granted to us to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. We've got people in our church right now, precious people who love Jesus with all their heart, who've been told they're terminal with cancer. He heals some. He doesn't heal most. So those are really important questions to sort of sort out in your own heart and mind, Jerry. What makes you think God should heal everyone? I'm suspecting that it's bad teaching. Open your Bible and read about the faithful saints of God. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Read about Paul's sufferings. When you do, you'll get a different perspective. Well, the phones were quiet today. We didn't get any calls, but we have some questions. We'd love your calls tomorrow. All you have to do is wait till 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word and give us a call. Thanks for tuning in. We've got our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies tonight at 7 o'clock. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be back, Lord willing, tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.